Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we highlight a new podcast. It's called This Is Her Place. It tells the remarkable stories of Utah women, past and present, and all their diversity. And we're going to talk with the podcast co-host Naomi Watkins and the executive producer Patrick Mason. We're going to hear sound clips from the first two episodes. Uh, the first two episodes on themes very timely, law enforcement and uh, public health. And those episodes drop, as they say in the business uh, today, become available uh, uh, just a little bit later uh, today. Um, and uh, so before we welcome in our guests, uh, we'll give some introductions as well. I want to hear the, or have us hear the trailer to the to the podcast. Ready, Tom? I'm ready. Okay. I'm Naomi Watkins. And I'm Tom Williams. I'm an educator, community builder, and a transplant to Utah by way of California. You're also the co-author of the kids' book, Champions of Change, 25 Women Who Made History. That's true. And I'm a Utah native and host of Utah Public Radio's Access Utah. It turns out that both of us have an interest in stories about Utah women. And there's no better time to highlight these stories than during the year 2020. This year marks three anniversaries that impacted women's right to vote. It's the 150th anniversary of Utah women being the first to vote in the U.S. under the same laws as men. It's also the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment and the 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. And it's definitely been a rough year, which could make these anniversaries seem insignificant. But it's this legislation that makes it possible for me and other women to make our voices heard at the polls and to make the changes that we need and want. And that's pretty cool. You may have heard the legendary story when Brigham Young arrived with the original Mormon Pioneer Company. He looked out over the Salt Lake Valley and declared, this is the place. This is Her Place is a new podcast that tells the diverse stories of amazing women who have lived in Utah's mountains, valleys, and deserts, all proclaiming that this is her place. So through interviews and narrative retellings, in each episode, we'll bring you stories of women from the past and the present. Or as we joke, the dead and the alive. That's right. Our subjects encompass the range of women's lives and experiences, famous and forgotten, rich and poor, believers and skeptics, feminists and traditionalists, from all races and every part of the state. All episodes are centered on a theme. Physicians, police officers, healers, educators, artists, activists, entrepreneurs, religious leaders, and more. Women in the Beehive State have never fit into easy stereotypes. This is her place premieres on June 24th. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Her Place is made possible through the generous support of Janet Dane Stoll, Gary Anderson, Utah State University's Year of the Woman Initiative, and the Arrington Chair of Mormon History and Culture at Utah State University. And by listeners like you. So visit us at thisisherplace.org to donate and to learn more. See you soon. And we'll see you today. The uh, the program premieres, uh, the episodes, uh, at least first two episodes, premiere today. Uh, so we welcome in Naomi Watkins. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. So as we heard in the trailer there, um, you authored Champions of Change, 25 Women Who Made History. Uh, you've been a part of uh, Better Days 2020. Um, I guess your day job, you're an expert in teacher education, literacy, pedagogy. That's correct, yes. Very good. I uh, got your PhD from University of Utah, and you're joining us from Salt Lake City. Um, let's bring in Patrick Mason. Welcome to the program. 
Good morning. Good morning. Patrick Mason is Leonard J. Arrington, Chair of Mormon History and Culture, Associate Professor of History and Religious Studies at Utah State University, uh, born and raised in Utah, pursued his graduate studies at University of Notre Dame, held faculty positions at Notre Dame American University in Cairo. By the way, Patrick, I don't know, I know if I've ever talked to you about that. Maybe on another occasion we'll talk about that. Right. And uh, Claremont Graduate University before returning to his native uh, state and Utah State University in uh, 2019. He's the author of several, or editor of several books, including Mormonism and Violence, The Battles of Zion, and What is uh, Mormonism? A Student's Introduction. Uh, so I think first question to you, Patrick, you're executive producer. I think this is your brainchild. What, uh, what, what do you hope to accomplish with, through this podcast? Well, well, the main thing I want to accomplish is just to diversify and enrich the, the kinds of stories that people know about Utah and, and its history. I, like you mentioned, I grew up here. Uh, I went through public schools here, and, and so I had Utah history, what, at least twice, I guess, in junior high and high school. And if, if you would have asked me to name... Um, you know, more than a few women from Utah history, I'd be hard-pressed, even as a, somebody who's gone on to, to be a professional historian. Uh, you know, I'd maybe especially because of my uh, uh, the, the research that I do in Mormon history, I could probably name several Latter-day Saint women, but beyond that, uh, it would have been pretty thin. And so it was mostly as an indictment of myself that uh, that when the um, the university announced the Year of the Woman initiative, and I saw all the great work being done around the state, especially by Better Days 2020 and, and other organizations, uh, I thought, you know, I, I need to learn something about the, the, the women in Utah history and, and, uh, and then maybe create a platform where other people can too. Uh, Naomi Watkins, uh, you, you went to school in California, did you? K through 12? I grew up in California. You grew up in California? Yeah. I'm not sure what the what the curriculum was there in terms of uh, the the women that you learned about. Well, I now can say no more Utah women from history than California. I've been hard pressed <laughs> to name a woman from California history who's not an actress. Uh, yeah, I guess that would be a kind of a <laughs> a focus, wouldn't it? So, yeah. So, I mean, the 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 issue that Patrick's talking about as far as the curriculum that's taught in schools. I mean, it's not just a Utah issue. It's a a nationwide issue. Mm. Now, you've been involved in uh, Better Days 2020, and I, I don't know if you did study this previous to that. You've, uh, you've, you've gotten to know a lot of women in Utah history. Right. right I, went, I mean, I was an English teacher, um, middle school English teacher back in the day, and um, not a historian like Patrick or many of the other people that I've worked with now. But, um, you know, as an English teacher, stories are the core of what what I do, right? Um, and so it's it was really, you know, really fun and really gratifying to learn um, the stories of women who lived here um, and the diversity of women who lived here, right? Um, as a transplant to Utah, I, of course, had preconceived ideas of what Utah is and was, um, and those have completely been blasted away mm. from the work that I've done. Uh, Patrick Mason, it, <clears throat> I guess it... Uh, uh, one attitude could be, well, history is history, right? But it, but that's, I think as a historian, you would say it, it's, uh, it depends on what's, what's researched, depends on what's taught, right? It depends on what's emphasized, and, and some of this history has not been emphasized. That's exactly right. I mean, yeah, history is, um, 
you're, you're right in the sense that we can't go back and change the past, and, and no historian is interested in doing that. But but the uh, the art of history, the, the the profession of history, is all about interpretation. It's about the the stories, the characters, the themes that we choose to look at and deem to be significant. And so for most of the time that we've been doing history, either as amateurs or in, in the past couple centuries as the field has become professionalized, we focused on men's stories because we thought those were the stories that matters because, mattered because we focused on politics and economics and war and, and, and the kinds of spheres uh, in which men dominated. It, it, there was a kind of vicious circle here, right, uh, in, in, in terms of, of the things that as, as societies, especially in the West, but I think this is m- more broad as well across the world, uh, the kinds of uh, the public sphere versus private sphere. And uh, most of our histories have focused on the public sphere where, where men have dominated. So it's really only been in the past few decades since the revolution in women's history uh, that was associated with second-wave feminism, that as historians, we've opened our eyes and said, oh, my goodness, <laughs> we've, we've missed entire swaths of history. And, and even though that we're a few decades into that project, we're still catching up. Uh, and uh, we're nowhere near parity. Uh, even though men and women are both roughly 50% of the, the human population, women maybe even uh, a little higher than that, um, uh, the, the history is still male-dominated. Nimi Watkins, I want to ask you a similar question to how history matters, right, and how we interpret history uh, matters. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, growing up, I, given that we didn't really talk about what women did, I thought they just did nothing. <laughs> um, so, you know, I remember as a, a elementary school kid, looking for biographies of women in the library at school and finding this little series, and it was red, white, and blue, had stars on it. I can totally picture the cover still. And it had, um, you know, women like Abigail Adams or Martha Washington or Betsy Ross, you know, the founding mothers of the United States. Um, And then finishing that series and wanting more. um, And I really love that not just in the history world, but even in the children's literature world, that there is this boom of um, storytelling of real women, you know, from all kinds of different walks of life, different backgrounds, um, working in a lot of different areas. You know, Patrick talks about how the public sphere has been more written about, but women were in public spheres working, um, doing things, but they just weren't written about because often the men were the ones who were doing that public writing. Um, And so being able to see yourself represented in the stories that we tell, I think gives you, you know, makes, helps you with your own self-worth and seeing that you can make a difference in your own, in your community too. Mm. Um, I, I can't resist going here. I don't want to divert totally from the, the subject at hand, but it, but it's a very related topic talking about interpreting history and, you know, and who owns history and what's emphasized. So I'll start with Patrick on this. Uh, we're having a debate right now, uh, a resurgent debate on monuments. And uh, that this gets us into the whole uh, issue of, uh, you know, how people view history. And uh, an object like a monument, right, it can be viewed a very different way by different groups of people. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the history, um, it, on, on one level, it's, it's, a, it's a scholarly 
uh, pursuits, and uh, but also, you know, it's it's available to, to anybody. One of the great things about history is it doesn't require that the same level of technical jargon and expertise that, say, like nuclear physics does or something like that. So it's accessible to everybody. And also, we, we've chosen, I think, properly as a society to incorporate it into the curriculum. And so history has a civic function as well. And that's the reason we teach it in the schools. Uh, we've made a decision as a society that, that history belongs in part of our curriculum, which is part of our, you know, the, the purpose of public schools largely is not only to educate the, the population, but to create citizens. And so we want historically informed citizens. And so history, it, it's a public good, and it means that we, uh, we all have a share in it. We all have a stake in it. And so just like monuments that we see as we drive past or as we walk through a park, uh, they say something about the way we not only think about ourselves in the past or our forebears, but the way that we think about ourselves now. And so history is, is the same way. The, 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 the history books that, that, that we write, the history that we teach in the classrooms, the history that we talk about on podcasts, all of that is a public good, which, uh, which, which tells us something about our values as a society. Naomi Watkins, what, what would you like to say about about this? That we're, we're having a, <laughs> a civics lesson uh, currently all together, right? Uh, very contentious, uh, but with, but uh, learning about what history means currently. Well, definitely, and definitely a moment to learn that history that we weren't taught. You know, I um, recently read, and I'm not going to remember the name, of course, of the book, but it was a history of the Native Americans in the United, you know, in the United States written by Native Americans, right? It was the story and history that they wanted to tell. And I read it and thought, I felt so cheated that I hadn't known these stories before, right? We do a disservice to students and to people when we, we hide. Not, I mean, I, in some ways hide, but also don't choose to share. Um, and, we, and I think knowing those stories just makes us, a, it makes us better people. Hmm. Let's take a, our first break. When we come back, I want to jump into, we have some sound clips prepared from our first two episodes, which, by the way, are to the themes of law enforcement and public health, very timely. And we'll learn about some fascinating um, women, including uh, the uh, first w- woman sheriff in uh, in Utah and one of the first Latina sheriffs, Rosie Rivera, current sheriff of, uh, of Salt Lake County. Uh, Claire Ferguson, a very interesting uh, story from the past. We'll also learn about uh, Dr. Annie Dodge Wanika, uh, Dr. Martha Hughes Cannon, and Dr. Angela Dunn, who's uh, very much in the news these days. Uh, we'll uh, talk about the first two episodes and much else coming following this break. Did you know that robots can help children develop skills to work and learn together? Researchers have found that when interacting with educational robots, even those designed for solo use, children will invite friends and peers to play the games and complete the activities with their classmates. Using a smartphone app, the small robots can teach nearly any academic skill. What's more, language translation technology can help young students who are not yet proficient in English to participate, allowing these students to learn in the classroom at the same speed as their English-speaking peers. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are uh, profiling a new podcast. This is Her Place is the name of the podcast. You can find out much more by going to thisisherplace.org. And uh, just a little bit later today, the first two episodes of the uh, series will drop, as they say. And those uh, treat the themes of law enforcement and public health. Um, And uh, so each episode features at least two women, one historical, one contemporary, whose stories are distinct but whose lives illuminate a common theme. We have with us the executive producer, Patrick Mason, and uh, the co-host, Naomi Watkins. I'm the other co-host. That brings up a question, uh, Patrick Mason. (laughs) Um, You you, you might have thought maybe two women as as hosts of this series. Yeah, that was my initial thought, and... uh, when uh, the, when I first came up with the idea for the podcast, then I I reached out uh, first of all to uh, to Better Days 2020 uh, to Nylon McBain who who had that terrific organization and was talking with her about it and she was the one who introduced me to, to Naomi and yeah my my initial impulse I I wanted this this project first of all I wanted myself to be as far in the background as possible so I'm a little sheepish uh, even being on the air today but um but uh but, but I I initially thought of either as a, a single female host or or if we had co-hosts a couple of women and it was really Naomi uh who who convinced me rightly she said look women's history is not just for women uh, this is the problem sometimes, is as soon as we say women's history, that then we assume that, that only women care about her, or only women will be interested. Uh, and so we need to make sure that both women and men are in, involved in this. So, so major uh, you know, hat tip to, to Naomi on that. So Naomi, have you encountered this? The, the, I guess uh, people sometimes assume this, as women's history, only women will be uh, interested? Yeah, so with my kids' book, um, Champions of Change, which features a lot of Utah women. Um, I'll have a lot of people say, oh, I bought this for my, my daughter, or I bought this for my granddaughter, um, or my sister, or whatever. And, and I often will say, well, you know, the, boy, the men and the boys in your lives will enjoy these stories, too. Um, and I've had friends who share, you know, read the book with their boys, and their boys find these women to be personal heroes as well. So I think we do a disservice when we as adults are gatekeepers to the stories we think are going to be pertinent to the children and um, other people we associate with. Hmm. Yeah, I've been enjoying this. Uh, you know, if I'm a representative sample, I've been enjoying the, the histories. Um, so, Patrick, one more question before we jump into the, these first two episodes. Why a podcast? This could have been a lecture series or a book or why a podcast? Well, for me, it was thinking about, I really was inspired by the Year of the Woman initiative here on the Utah State University campus. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it was supposed to be a year-long celebration, you know, and, and, and then some, to, to really focus on these anniversaries that, that you talked about uh, at, at the outset, and, and then all of the contributions of, of women. And then, of course, COVID hit, right? So, I mean, women don't even get like one year, right, without something coming and, and it going sideways. But but before COVID, I was thinking, you know, what, what could we do that would really have, be a public service? Uh, one of the things I love about Utah State University, one of the reasons I came here is that it, it's a statewide campus with a strong sense of public mission. And so while I love all the things that we do on campuses, the, the lectures and, you know, all the kind of academic things that we do, we have to admit that most of those things serve a, a relatively small uh, community. 
um, you know, people who either have access to, to, to campus or who are interested in academic things. And so I really wanted uh, something that would connect with the, the statewide and public mission of the university. And so a podcast seemed like it. Besides, it seems like everybody has a podcast these days. How hard can it be? <laughs> you know, we, we realized uh, quickly that especially the kind of podcast that we wanted to do was a lot more work than, than I, certainly I anticipated. I, th- I think it's worth it. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, but for me, it was really how do we get these stories into the ears of as many people as possible? Yeah, it seems like podcasts are all the rage. Uh, by the way, I heard you laugh there, Naomi. How hard can this be, right? <laughs> so, uh, we're, yeah. we're, we've, we, and we, we got a great team, but it's, uh, it, you know, you can't just jump in and, uh, and uh, do a podcast and, and have it be good. Well, we, we think this is good. We'd invite you to, to check out uh, thisisherplace.org and, and check these out. Let's hear this uh, first uh, clip. This is the, the opening couple of minutes from the law enforcement episode, the first episode. Uh, we're going to hear about an experience that uh, Utah's first female sheriff, Rosie Rivera, uh, had when, when she was uh, younger. So uh, this is, um, I'm not sure, how, this is uh, 41031. I'm not sure how we have this labeled, Emily. Rosie Rivera started dreaming about becoming a police officer after an incident on a camping trip with her family when she was 16. It was a big camping situation where, you know, a lot of relatives showed up and we had somebody that was in the next camp not following the rules and the police were called. Rosie Rivera's family called the police to deal with their noisy neighbors. But when the police arrived, they weren't as interested in the neighbors. Instead, they turned their attention to Rosie Rivera's large Hispanic family. It was the sheriff's office that came out and, you know, immediately they focused on our campground and my family and we eventually all got kicked out and I told my father back then that that is not right. We were the ones that were having to call the police because these other folks were not following the rules. They were riding their motorbike right through our camp and just some things like that. and. You know, he, he said, if you don't like it, change it. You have to understand that at the time, he could not do anything. And that's what I was having a hard time with, is why would my father not fight back with the police at the time? Why would he not say, this is unfair? But times were different, and he explained that they would take him to jail. So he couldn't say a thing. And I've always, in my mind, thought, if I'm ever a police officer, I'm not going to treat people that way. It's just wrong. So there's the open from the, the law enforcement episode. Uh, Rose Rivera has an interesting, by some background on her father that you just heard referenced there, he's a tough ex-Marine, but he, he knew, at least in those times, uh, he better not push back. Anything, uh, Patrick or, or Naomi, you'd like to say on that uh, the clip? Well, I mean, I would say that we're seeing that times are not that different, right, with recent events. So, um, I mean, some background, we recorded that episode before the murder of George Floyd, and so it took on a whole different context and meaning um, when we went to write the episode, because we were writing it in the middle of um, when the protests were at at their height. Um, And so that's interesting, too, thinking about how... um, even current times, like, I mean, very current times, um, change the way that we see the stories of the past. Yeah, that's very true. 
Uh, we, and we have a comment in that we won't play here that uh, in this episode from Rosie Rivera talking about what it means to be, uh, you know, Utah's first female sheriff, uh, one of the country's first Latina sheriffs in these times, you know, with these protests. Um, let's uh, let's hear uh, next a, a clip uh, with uh, talking about the story of Claire Ferguson. Uh, Naomi, you want to give us a thumbnail sketch of Claire Ferguson before we hear this? Sure. Um, Claire is the daughter of Dr. Ellen Ferguson, who was one of the first female physicians in Utah. And Claire becomes one of the first female deputy sheriffs in the United States um, here in, well, here, meaning where I am in Salt Lake. Um, and she's 22 years old. She's a socialite. Um, and it's really an interesting contrast of this very, you know, very beautiful woman also being a sheriff in 1897. Um, and so let's hear this. The, the, in, in this uh, part of the, uh, the episode, uh, we're, uh, you, Naomi, and, uh, are talking about stereotypes, how, how Clara Ferguson was covered in the, in the papers. It's important to note that newspapers, not just in Utah, but across the country, were printing stories about the, quote, bold girl sheriff from Salt Lake City. What a story to tell their readers about the wild, wild west. The story of Claire Ferguson, as told in the papers, also imposed female stereotypes on her. Listen to this excerpt from an article in the Washington Standard. Those things which this darling young lady may be called upon to do as a matter of business would make the average girl shrink in terror. She may have to go out on the trail of fierce brigands and see that they are safely escorted to jail. She may be obliged to use a rifle or revolver now and then to compel the lawbreakers to submit to her will. In fact, the duties of a deputy sheriff are as multifarious as they are dangerous, and Miss Ferguson may be sorry someday that she tackled the situation. The thing is, these newspaper stories are really all we have to go off today to try to understand who Claire Ferguson really was. And there's also some depth there. The Washington Standard article goes on to include a quote from Claire Ferguson that gives a glimpse into her character. Here's Tiffany Green reading what Claire Ferguson said. I know that events may come up at any time which may place me in dangerous places, but I'm willing to take my chances. Why should I fear more than the men? The duties of the sheriff's office must be performed, and if a woman has the proper amount of self-reliance and energy, I cannot see why she should not be perfectly able to carry out her orders as well as a man. So just a bit from uh, episode one of This Is Her Place podcast. It's on law enforcement. We've uh, profile like Claire Ferguson and uh, Rosie Rivera. So Naomi Watkins, uh, it, that last quote has some depth to it. I guess the, the previous to that, uh, some examples of uh, kind of very surfacey uh, coverage, uh, stereotype coverage from the newspapers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we know from the newspapers that Claire was very skilled with the revolver. Um, and I love that, you know, why should I fear more than men? Like being a woman, why... Should I be, I mean, why should I be more afraid than the men? Let's not assume that men are not afraid, right? Um, and I love that flipping of those, uh, those gender norms that, you know, are still sometimes alive today. Mm. Patrick Mason, uh, as a historian, uh, I, you know, the, the sources are the sources, are the sources right? Uh, but sometimes the sources, I imagine, get away, make, uh, get in the way, make things more opaque. And how, how do you get around that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost always the case that, that we don't have as many sources as we would like. 
especially when we're trying to recover the, the stories of quote unquote ordinary people, you know, not presidents or you know people who are very much in, in the public eye. Uh, but but this is one of the great things that that women's history has has done for us is that it has taught us. Uh, in part to to read sources in a different way, to look for sources that we might have otherwise ignored. Uh, in fact, I mean, one of the pioneers of this, and one of it really the the the, the best practitioners of this is Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, uh, the, the the great uh, historian of of uh, early America, Pulitzer Prize winner, and so forth, and uh, who has written her most recent book was about. Uh, Mormon women uh, from polygamy, uh, you know, basically th- throughout uh, polygamy, uh, and she ends that book with uh, the the rise of women's political activism here in Utah and and achieving suffrage. But but Laurel is a great example of a historian who has spun you know straw into gold. I mean, sources that other people either hadn't seen or had neglected or thought there was nothing there and to be able to pull out meaning from these sources to recover the lives of ordinary people, and usually that means women. Hmm. Naomi Watkins, I'm I, I just flying blind here. I'm guessing Claire Ferguson has not been in the curriculum. People, young no, people I are mean, not learning actually, about her? When I was doing my work for Better Days 2020, came across her on some... I mean, it's interesting Googling just random things and finding things. It's kind of this rabbit hole that you go down. I feel like um, I remember thinking, well, I wonder if there were any women in early law enforcement in Utah and just starting to Google. And that's how I found Claire in some random article, which then led us to dig um, through those newspapers and finding out more about her. Mm. Well, that's the thing. is That's a great point, Naomi, is that we, we don't have the same excuses that, that we used to. I mean, it, you know, some of this research used to be really hard and time intensive, and, and, and it still is. Historical research is, is hard work. But it's so much easier now because of the Internet. And so, uh, so we don't have some of the same excuses that, that, that we used to. It's, it's much more accessible than it used to be. You just joined us. We're talking about a new podcast. This is Her Place. Uh, tells the story of uh, remarkable stories of Utah women past and present and all their diversity. Each episode features at least two women, one historical, one contemporary, whose stories are distinct but whose lives illuminate a common theme. Right now we're talking about the very first episode, which will uh, drop uh, just a little bit later today on the website. There's one place you can get it. This is herplace.org. Uh, and uh, wherever you get your podcasts, so you can subscribe, urge you to do so. Um, so in this first episode, uh, Rosie Rivera, who's the current uh, sheriff of Utah or Salt Lake County, she's the first uh, female sheriff in Utah. And uh, Claire uh, Ferguson, who was a deputy sheriff. Uh, but w- when Naomi Watkins, 1890s? 1897. So right after yeah. Utah achieved statehood. Yeah. Let's hear one more clip uh, featuring uh, the story of Rosie Rivera. Uh, this is from the first episode of This Is Her Place, uh, which focuses on law enforcement. And um, uh, this, this particular clip gives the episode its uh, title. The pressure on female officers to prove they can do the job is intense. But early on, Rosie Rivera got some counterintuitive advice that she still uses to this day. Don't try to be a man. And that was from one of my first sergeants. He just told me, do not try and be a man, because at the time there were female who would come into the profession, immediately cut their hair short, go on calls and try and be the tough guy. 
And you can't do that, especially being a female. And, you know, I know that women can communicate very well, especially in, in stressful situations. And that's what I did is I learned to use my voice versus trying to be strong and have an ego and be like a man. And it's worked throughout my career. That advice stayed with Rosie Rivera through a lot of, let's just call it what it is, workplace sexism. Like countless women in other fields, she recalls sitting in meetings, sharing an idea, and having it ignored, only to have a man suggest the same idea 10 minutes later and get an enthusiastic response. Now that Rosie Rivera is the sheriff, she said people seem to listen to her more. There's just another little clip uh, from the first episode of This Is Her Place. Um, and that's an interesting, it's, it's good to get perspectives, um, you know, from across d- divides, potential divides. Uh, Naomi Watkins, I've, you know, as a man, I have not experienced this, right? <laughs> Having, saying, and I, say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> saying, have you experienced that? I've heard this from many women, um, that, that, the, you know, the, the, say an idea, it's ignored, and then a man says it, and it's, it's, it's embraced. Oh, of course. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. more to say about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that. Yeah. That's just it. It's take and, and probably every woman you know, I'm guessing has experienced this. Um, probably if they're honest with themselves, yes. Yeah. So it's interesting the advice that uh, Rosie Rivera got. Don't don't try to be a man, right? Be yourself. But I imagine that was you know many other women uh, going into law enforcement uh, went the other way because I guess they felt the pressure. Right. And I and I love that that came from a man, too, right? Like, he realized that Rosie being Rosie was going to be the best way for her to navigate that world. Um, and, you know, we see a lot of articles um, written to women telling women how they need to be in order to be better in the workplace, right? Like, don't apologize so much and don't do this and don't do that. Um, but I just, so I love that that man just said, just be who you are. Don't try to be something different. Patrick Mason, do you have a comment on, on this? Well, I just think, um, especially if people listen to the whole episode, and I think you get a, a sense of this from the clips, I can't imagine somebody who is stronger than Rosie Rivera. I mean, talk about strength of character uh, and some of the situations she's been in as a law enforcement officer. She was on the met, in the Metro gang unit, right? And so... This is no wilting lily. I mean, she is a very tough cookie. She is very strong, but she has her own kind of strength. And I think that's one of the things that we want to bring out in the podcast is that, uh, is that all of these different women that we profile, every one of them is different. Everyone, uh, you know, has, has a different kind of profile and, and sense of herself. Uh, but these are all very strong uh, uh, people uh, who, who, who bring a lot to, to whatever their, their chosen field is. Let's take another break. When we come back, I want to uh, play some sound clips from the second episode, which also drops today. Uh, by the way, we're talking about the new podcast, This Is Her Place, and you can find it at thisisherplace.org. The, the second episode is uh, also a very timely uh, topic, public health. Uh, and we profiled Dr. Don, Annie Dodge-Wanika, uh, who... Um, Naomi Watkins uh, brought us, uh, quote-unquote, I had not been familiar with her, uh, working with uh, the Navajo people. Um, Dr. Martha Hughes Cannon, I think uh, many people are at least vaguely familiar with uh, with Dr. Cannon. 
And, of course, Dr. Angela Dunn, who we see in the news conferences uh, very regularly today with the COVID-19. We'll have uh, much more following this break. As part of Project Resilience, Utah Public Radio and the USU Center for Persons with Disabilities presents the Mental Health and Developmental Disability National Training Center's Crossroads podcast. In Episode 8, Improving Access to Mental Health Services for Young Adults with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities and Mental Health Needs. Find this and other episodes by going to our website, upr.org, and linking to our Project Resilience programming. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we're going mountain climbing. We're exploring some of the musical styles that originate in the higher elevations. music on the Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We reached our last segment uh, on the subject today, which is a new podcast, which uh, begins today. A little later today, you can uh, hear episodes one and two uh, by going to the website thisisherplace.org or uh, go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to This Is Her Place. And we're talking with uh, the co-host, Naomi Watkins. I'm the other co-host, by the way, and the executive producer, uh, Patrick Mason. You can join us here if you'd like by email to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at uh, gmail.com. Let's just uh, jump in and hear a a segment. This is the first couple of minutes from uh, episode number two on public health. Uh, And by the way, the the subtitle here is A Matter of Trust. You'll hear as we get into talking about this. Uh, So this uh, profiles a bit of the story of uh, Dr. Annie Dodge Wanika. By the 1950s, tuberculosis rates had plummeted across most of the United States. But the disease still ravaged Native American communities, and Dr. Annie Dodge Wanika was on a mission to change that. It was a challenge because her Native people weren't familiar with Western medical approaches and didn't trust them. But they did trust traditional healers. When we go into our Navajo ceremonies, and we're with the medicine man, and we're all there with our families inside the Hogan, and everyone's focusing their energies on the patient to get cured, the medicine man would, of course, do his prayers and his songs. And then, you know, there's all kinds of ceremonies. Gloria Ann Begay was a colleague of Annie Wanika. She recalls Annie Wanika, who passed away in 1997, telling the story of how she helped people feel more comfortable with Western medicine. This one particular ceremony, the medicine man would tie a small eagle feather to the hair near the top of the head. And he would tell the patient, you wear this feather as a symbol that you are, you know, a patient like being healed and that you have been treated with the ceremony and the songs and prayers and maybe even some herbs. And so that's an indication to your relatives and everybody that you're kind of in this sacred place for a while. So she explained, so when we go to the hospital, 
you're going to find that some of these kind of white skin looking doctors will diagnose you, maybe tell you what's wrong. They may even give you some medicine. So this is kind of like the feather. And it just shows that you have, you know, been treated. You've received some kind of medicine or maybe a shot to cure your health problem. So there's the first couple of minutes from episode number two of This Is Her Place. So Naomi Watkins, I had not been familiar at all with Dr. Wanika. Tell us just a little bit about her, if you would, please. So I became familiar with Annie Wanika's story when I was working for Better Days 2020 and talking to those um, of the Navajo Nation about who who are the women who contributed to your community and Annie Wanika came up several times. Um, so, of course, like researching and learning more about her story, she did a lot of public health work on the Navajo Nation, but she also did so on a federal level. Um, she ends up earning the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Lyndon B. Johnson. She worked on, you know, public health issues across the country and not just on her native land. Um, so really someone who made an impact. And of course, we bring this to today, where we're on the Navajo Nation. Uh, it's you know, COVID nineteen has hit like even harder than it did in New York City. So very timely, and yeah. And they're still being hit hard, right? By and and it's also hitting other Native communities hard as well. Yeah, and this is that title of this episode is very interesting. It is a through line through all the stories in this episode. A matter of trust. So Dr. Wanika is doing some cultural translation, right? She's helping the. Native peoples to maybe trust Western medicine, vice versa, I'm not sure. Yeah, she was definitely known as a bridge builder, you know, not just in the ways that she taught um, her people, but she also was a master of the Navajo and English languages. She makes this medical dictionary to translate um, English medical terms into Navajo so that they're better able to communicate and to understand what's happening. And I just, I love the genius of that. Mm. Patrick Mason, I don't know if, if you, like me, have been unfamiliar with any Dodge Monica. Oh, yeah, n- never heard of her, and it's just such a such a fascinating story. And, and while listening to that clip, I have to give a shout-out. I, I think it sounds so great, and I have to give a, a shout-out to the other members of our team. So Dorothy Abrahams is our audio engineer and producer. So she lives in New York. Uh, the producer of the podcast is Allison Pond. Uh, who lives in California. So this is truly a coast-to-coast effort, and we have Meg Rasmussen working for us as a graduate research assistant. Uh, so it is a big team. And But, but, um, but yeah, I, that, it's a story I, I hadn't known, and it's just, what, what, a, what a, I mean, those are the types of figures that I just feel so ignorant that, that she wasn't part of my historical knowledge, but what a significant figure. Mm. Let's hear, uh, we'll, we'll hear this through line of, of uh, trust uh, as we go along. Let's hear the next clip. This is uh, Martha Hughes Cannon. <clears throat> and if, you know, if you were to ask, uh, you know, the, the man or woman on the street, uh, name a figure, a, a historical woman figure from the, from the past, this name might come up, Martha Hughes Cannon. Uh, she's famously uh, the first uh, female state senator in, in the U.S., right? Um, and uh, is shortly, I'm not sure if this has happened yet, do you know Naomi Watkins, her, is her statue up in the Statuary Hall in the Capitol? No, it's not up yet. I think it's, you know, hung up by COVID and bureaucracy. But, you know, speaking about monuments that you mentioned earlier, you know, it's really, I think, poignant that Utah is sending a statue of a woman, Martha Hughes Cannon, to National Statuary Hall, where there's only nine female statues out of 100. Yeah. 
Uh, so Matthews Cannon will be replacing um, uh, Philo Farnsworth. Um, so anyway, uh, so the, the, here's the setup. So she she is elected to the state senate in Utah, and this clip uh, from our second episode of This Is Her Place podcast uh, talks about some of the things she accomplished uh, in the legislature. But her most influential bill established the Utah State Board of Health, one of the first state-sponsored boards of health in the nation. And this, of course, was her greatest and most long-lasting achievement. It established a seven-member state board of health to which Maddie was then appointed. And the board was charged with the responsibility to encourage the establishment of local boards of health and to improve disease control, sanitation, and the water supplies. They passed a resolution in the board to encourage, to advise the counties and the different cities to require children to be vaccinated. I think typhoid was the one at the time and requiring in areas where typhoid was really a lot of cases, everyone to be vaccinated. They wanted to make it a requirement that they must do that, but they decided they could not. They weren't sure they had the authority to tell the counties and cities what they had to do. And furthermore, they said if we were to make it a law that everyone had to be vaccinated, there would probably be basically riots against it. Because, of course, vaccinations were new. And this was at the very beginning of the State Board of Health being established. They knew that that was going to be a difficulty. And so they backpedaled and said, we advise it. Oh, these were the words. If we were to say they had to do it, we would expect a violent and determined opposition. That was their conclusion. Probably they were correct. So even today we see this dance, this interaction between what medical professionals believe is true based on data and how they have to calculate what the public's response will be. Right. Do we have the authority to say you must? And if we do, do we have the means to enforce it? And what will we do if people defy it? It's very, very tricky, as you say, dance, which has not changed in the last 120 years. So that's a clip from a public health episode, episode number two of uh, This Is Her Place podcast. So the first two episodes dropped today. Uh, so I'll start with uh, Patrick Mason on this. Um, uh, this is very timely. This is essentially ripped from the headlines only we're talking about, uh, you know, Dr. Matthews Cannon, public health back back then. Yeah, and this, this goes back, to, you know, I, I think this is an episode that, that when the three of us sat down uh, uh, on that snowy day, uh, when, when we first uh, started coming up with ideas for this, then, then COVID hit uh, shortly thereafter. So, so I think we all agreed that, that this was going to be one of our first episodes, um, especially once we saw... Uh, Dr. Angela Dunn leading the, the state efforts here when, when we knew more about uh, Martha Hughes Cannon's background, not just as, as the first female state senator, which is significant in, in itself, but helping create the state's public health infrastructure. So, so that was kind of an obvious uh, way to connect past, past and present and, and be really timely. Uh, Naomi Watkins, it, it, just, it just strikes me. This is, I mean, it's so, th- these themes are so familiar. Yeah, I mean, I think I woke up. I woke up to tweets this morning talking about Salt Lake County Mayor and Salt Lake City Mayor, um, you know, writing Governor Herbert saying we we want a mandatory mask rule. 
Um, so it's essentially the same thing that's happening again. I don't know if that's depressing or hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. I was trying to make up my mind. <laughs> um, I'm undecided. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's jump into our, to our last uh, sound clip. This is uh, Dr. Angela Dunn, who, of course, we see uh, prominent. Uh, she's the state epidemiologist. Um, and uh, let's just hear this, uh, set this up. Um, part of her background, Dr. Dunn, after medical school, uh, went to Africa, worked with uh, with people there suffering from Ebola. Um, and uh, so we, we start there and then get into some of her uh, musings on her current work. Part of Angela Dunn's job in Africa was to educate people and convince them to go against some deeply held cultural practices. A huge driver in the Ebola epidemic was their burial practices. So traditionally in West Africa, when a loved one passes away, they dress the decedent in their favorite clothes. They do a very hands-on ceremony, and that was actually spreading Ebola. So we had to work with village leaders to help them understand why it was so important to change their cultural practices and then also, you know, try to figure out alternate cultural practices that would still allow them to say goodbye to their loved ones, but while keeping themselves safe. Angela Dunn says some of the same principles apply in her work today as Utah's top epidemiologist, where a big part of her job is to make sure people have good information. I see my role as providing the public with all of the knowledge about what I know and what I don't know in a very clear way so that they can understand what's going on in in the state of the pandemic. And so it's just going out every day, having a very clear message, not hiding anything, and being very upfront, again, about what's unknown. We're learning new things every day. So I think being very transparent with the public about the evidence and science is important. There's a lot of pressures from a variety of sectors and influences on how we respond to the pandemic. But ultimately, this is a health response first. That really struck me, that last quote. Uh, This is Dr. Angela Dunn. This is a health response first. Some segments of the population are, are saying... (laughs) No, this isn't a health response first. There's still a debate, a matter of trust. Do we trust the experts and how much do we trust the experts? Uh, Any comment on that, Naomi Watkins, Patrick Mason? Just have a couple of minutes left. Well, I, I, I do think, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an ongoing tension. Obviously, it's, it's a big issue, right? How do you weigh these various goods, public health versus, you know, the economy and other things like that? But, but yeah, I mean, even with all of the advances in, in medical science, uh, I, I think there's, there's still a, a healthy dose of skepticism out there. So I really appreciate Dr. Dunn, especially her clarity, her forthrightness, her experience, uh, in being able to communicate with the, the people of the state of Utah and the leaders of the state of Utah. Naomi Watkins. Yeah, I, I mean, Angela, Dr. Angela Dunn is someone who, speaking of trust, I fully trust. And, um, and she's doing an exceptional job and a tough job, too. It's a tough job, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, she has a very interesting background as well. You'll learn that on the uh, on the on some of that on the on the podcast. Uh, well, we've reached uh, near the end of our time. Um, uh, uh, just thirty seconds, uh, Patrick Mason. Anything else you'd like to say about this is her place? Well, it, it's been a joy for me to be part of this project and, and to learn so much uh, from from the team and, and from these stories. So I hope people listen. Uh, hope people uh, s- support the podcast. We want to be able to produce more episodes and and share more stories. We've got we've got a lot of 
of stories that we want to share. And, uh, and so we hope people listen and, and, and support us so, so that we can. Uh, Naomi Watkins. And we're looking for more stories. There's a way to, on the website, thisisyourplace.org, to share stories um, with us, because we're always looking for more. And uh, the place to go is the website, thisisherplace.org. You can also go wherever you uh, consume your podcast. Subscribe. I hope you subscribe uh, to This Is Her Place. We're, all, we're looking for um, donations as well, if you'd like to support it that way. And uh, certainly listen to these first two episodes, which uh, drop uh, today. Uh, Patrick Mason's been a pleasure, as always. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Tom. And uh, Naomi Watkins, thank you so much. Yes, we'll talk soon, Tom. We'll talk soon, that's right. (laughs) Uh, And thanks to everybody for listening today to Access Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard and streaming online at upr.org. Join us here on Utah Public Radio throughout the week for Utah State University Extension's Ask an Expert, featuring timely information from raising your own backyard chickens to keeping our waterways clean and tips promoting mental wellness at work. If you've missed the latest segment for the week, you can find all the Ask an Expert features on our website, upr.org, and on our UPR app.